Welcome to the Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast, mythology mashups and odd apologues for young audiences. I am your host, Amanda Louise, moving you through the realms of malicious monsters, meritorious heroes, through the practice of real and imagined magic, shining a light into the darkness and conjuring something meaningful out of chaos. Here we are at chapter 12 of The Viking and the Princess, the Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast. The Leviathan and the Princess have discovered several things in the Great Trench in the deepest ocean. The roots of the world tree, the Nidhogg worm, and the gates of the abyss. The Nidhogg worm is a giant tapeworm sucking the energy out of the roots of the world tree and the ocean floor is slowly seeping into hell. The Leviathan uses his comparatively smaller size to infect the Nidhogg at a cellular level. Moiety has discovered that she can stop the influx of the universe into her black hole heart by utilizing the creative energy of the universal vibration that surrounds her. However, She has lost Odin's scroll of poetry, and the pieces of the worm's tail that she cut off have come to life and are attaching themselves to the world tree in a new effort to drain the tree of its gratitude. We return to Moiety and the Leviathan as they search the floor for the lost scroll and discuss the nature of the abyss. And our quote is from C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce, which is a wonderful book. There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find, and to those who knock, it is open. about what is in the abyss, Moiety inquired of the Leviathan. It is the waterless places, replied the Leviathan. The waterless places? The void, the nothing. Outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is the fire that is never content with wood, the ground that is never filled with water, and the eye that is never satisfied with seeing. It is full of the spirits who are never grateful for being. That sounds terrible. Are there really beings that are doomed to live inside of it? Yes, but not in the way that you might think. The gates are locked from the inside. There is no one there who is not chosen to be there. When they first get there, they just walk in because it has a comfortable familiarity. Their spirits can walk back out, but they do not. The whole earth is filled with the creator's glory, leaving no room left over for self-glorification. Instead of joining into its universal vibration, cursed spirits choose to engage in self-aggrandizement, shutting themselves out of the cosmos. The creator in mercy allows them to abide in the outer darkness. Moiety thought about her mother's sisters who spent much of their time together bickering. At any time, any one of them could just get up and leave, but they seemed to thrive on the intrigue generated by their scandals. 
No wonder the abyss is made of fire and full of malice. Without wood, the fire goes out. Without words, there's no gossip, and without malice present, there's no consuming hatred. The Leviathan was listening to Moiety's thoughts. A great chasm was set between the heavens and the abyss for that excellent reason. The saints would delight in extinguishing the abyssal fire, and the abyss dwellers would utilize that sentiment to lure them in and entrap them. Moiety and the Leviathan searched along the roots of the mountain. The abyss continued to consume the seafloor and release its pressure on the surface in the form of volcanic activity. Moiety could hear the malodorous thoughts of the abyss dwellers. It's all your fault, a woman's voice screamed. If you would have just listened to me, a man's voice thundered. That is mine. I have a right. This is my property. Get off my land. Get out of my way. The mob's cry perspired from the crack in a sulfuric stench. Finally, the Leviathan spotted the tip of the glowing scroll peeking out of the silt. It was slowly inching its way toward the fissure. There was no way to reach it in time. It was being sucked down into the abyss. Moiety felt terrible. The one valuable thing that she had, she was losing, and only as soon as she realized it had any value at all, she put her head down on the leviathan's back, closed her eyes, and wanted it back. Moiety remembered some farmers in her kingdom who had spent everything they owned to sow crops for the year for their families. One day the community woke up and found that locusts had eaten everything. She did not think much of it at the time, but now she knew exactly how they must have felt, and as she remembered, the suction started again. Moiety was wholly discouraged and did not even open her eyes. She just let it happen, but this time it did not consume at random. Instead of the leviathan, silt, and rocks and roots flowing inside, the scroll responded to Moiety's intake. It dislodged from the sediment the seal broke, and the meticulously inscribed runes peeled themselves off the hand-sewn pages. They floated like a bloom of jellyfish in a swell and flowed into her chest, sealing her skin behind them as they entered. The words entwined with her blood and opened her mouth. The reason the word read is the backbone of ready is why words are the rudder we need to sing our own song to make our souls strong on a current where the mind sails steady. The people in the abyss were screaming now. No, they howled, sing a song about me. Sing about my glory and my ability to reproduce. Do not let the tossing waves define. Know which wind you harness. Steady your course to balance your mind. The blacker the night, the brighter the light of stars to steer you in darkness. Curse the stars, I have never seen a star. They do not exist. Who are the fools who believe in stars? The screams were a terrible, discordant crescendo. Keep your heads down, do not look up, they clamored to command each other. Choose your words and reading like a captain would choose her sails. Anchor your gaze where the morning star is leading. His ancient book above all through tempest and squalls is your soul like a solid hull to prevail. 
I will, I will, I will, was the last coherent thing that Moiety and the Leviathan heard out of the abyss before the weeping and gnashing of teeth deteriorated into animal-like yips and yells and yowls. Know that discipline equals freedom for those who intrepidly train, but entertainment causes people to be dumb with brains malnourished and bodies like porridge, blaming everyone else for their pain. The segmented pieces of worm tail that Moiti had flayed with her blade began to fall off the roots. One by one at first and then in a swarm, they convened in front of the Leviathan. They swirled and flashed in a tornado-like mass, Give! Give! they cried, and then they began to bite and devour one another until they were consumed, and there was only one left. Ready your book by your hand, and ready your hand hard to the wheel, lean starboard for the fatherland. Keep it your vision to gain a heart of wisdom, to balance your life on that courageous keel. You will surely die on your way to life the Leviathan said. The old things are passing away. Look, the mighty have fallen and all things are becoming new. The last little worm had died and rounded from its consumption, it calcified into a beautiful luminescent rosy pearl, but not a perfectly round pearl. It had a small tail that reminded Moiti of the first root of a sprouted bean. The Leviathan held it in his five clawed paw. It continued to glow a soft, rosy light. Moiety and the Leviathan ascended up out of the abyssal trench through the midnight and twilight zones, and then finally back into the sunlit water. The world did not look much changed on the surface, considering the complicated developments that had just transpired at the World Tree Roots. You would have had eyes to see and ears to hear to notice any real difference. Moiety thought that maybe the actual change might reside inside of her own perceptions. The island was still covered with water, but the trees and animals continued as though nothing had changed. The birds were still flitting amongst the branches, but in slow underwater motion. The leviathan brought Moiety to rest in an underwater copse of trees not far from her encounter with the chameleon. An icy wind began to blow on the surface. The north wind was back. She pushed the water up and away from the trees, and dry land began to appear. She circled the island once and then twice, round and round the island in ever-diminishing concentric circles until she had gathered up all the water concealing the island. Moiety pressed herself into the leviathan as the north wind swirled all around them. Moiety could hear the north wind humming her song as she worked. It was a cold, ghostly, reverberant tone. Moiety grew quiet inside the storm. She could hear the wraithy words echo off the water like thick snowflakes landing on deep drifts. Where the snowy banks increase in ferocious quiet of untamed peace, and magi come wandering from the east, the heart of the divine comes unleashed, and the north wind blows ruffling the feathers of the alpen glow, dispersing the rimy glacial flow underneath her snowy undertow. Her spirit ranges and heavy hovers over the face of the Arctic waters, creating the cracking icy cover 
reflecting frozen faceted colors. And up in the boreal Siberian heights, she is raising up the northern lights, like children lifting handmade kites, those prayers of Himalayan flight. And she is a strong piece of wind that enlivens, freshens, and seasons the skin, uncovering Christmas carols covered within, heralding the evergreen spirit again, scattering frosted luminescence, hearkening yuletide in winter's presence manger stalls up to the heavens. It's born again without senescence. Fashioning waters into glaciers, those winter-wandering, wisping wayfarers, cutting their course like titanic razors in a sea of silent silver sailors. And she is the fierceness of the ice, that pride in the polar bear's prowling life, where none approaches without fang or knife, nothing's gained without sacrifice. But calling all her faithful children, wherever she puts her hands to build in, to explore and forge like intrepid pilgrims, to be the citizens of Empyrean Pavilion. The north wind gathered up the waters and carried them north with her, where she finally laid them to rest as emerald green icebergs. The beautiful tropical island lay exposed at sea level as it had been the day she arrived. And in the center of the trees was an unusually large tree with thick limbs that reached upward and then lazily laid themselves back down to the ground, where they rested for a while along the earth before lifting back up again toward the sun. This green tree was draped all over in woven patches of silk that swayed in the current like white prayer flags on a snowy mountain, where the great trunk of the tree separated into several of these reaching branches. It created a resting place large enough for two men to sit comfortably inside, and inside this hiding place, like a quiet egg, a silk cocoon had been sleeping for three days. Thank you for listening to this Sunshine Satellite Story Podcast. This is an original story by Amanda Louise Van Stratum. All rights reserved. For more original stories and poetry, including links to purchase text copies of my books, please visit me at sunshinesatellite.com. If you've enjoyed this story, please let me know by leaving me a review and rating in the comments section. I hope to hear from you soon.